we'll continue our worship tonight as we'll study God's Word together. I want to encourage you now to grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Friends, we will continue tonight our study of the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, down to the end of verse 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, down to the end of verse 15. Dear ones, I have titled this evening's sermon, Worshiping the Holy One. Worshiping the Holy One. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Dear ones, let us read God's word together. The word of God says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baalei, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Amminadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Beloved, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father, thank you for your word. Please bless us now as we come to study your spirit. Help us to see your glory and beauty. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for being the one in whom we are reconciled to God and in whom we may offer praise and worship that is holy and acceptable. Father, please have mercy upon your church. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, you remember from last week, David has just cemented his rule. 
David is established as the king of Israel, and he has founded a new capital city in Israel. He has taken control of the Jebusite stronghold that was Jerusalem, and it is now known as the city of David. And remember that after David had moved the capital to Jerusalem, that he also had a great battle with the Philistines. And God broke through the enemies of David and delivered a great victory to David. And so we see that God has exalted David for the sake of his name and for the sake of his people. David has been established king. God has done for David what he promised. Friends, it's been a long journey for David. Since those days when he was anointed king by Samuel, the word of the Lord was given to him that one day he would be king and that Saul would be displaced before him. And in all of this time of waiting, God has been faithful to David. God has been preparing David for this office, for this calling, for this ruling over his People. Every bit of David's life was carefully orchestrated to prepare him to be king. And friends, we've seen how that same providence is over our lives. How God sovereignly administers and guides our lives for his glory and for our good. That we may serve him in the world and be a blessing to his people. And so friends, we're seeing David established on the throne. And so the next response is worship. This is the response of gratitude in David's heart and in the hearts of the people, friends. Worship is the overflow of our love for the Lord and our joy in him. Friends, worship and doxology is the, uh, is the result of us seeing God in his glory. But friends, as we go through this text tonight, we're reminded that worship uh, must be not only from a right heart, but it must be according to God's commands. It must be according to his holy precepts. Well, friends, we're reminded in verse one that David has gathered all of the chosen men of Israel, this 30,000. Now, friends, this is probably the elders of Israel. Remember, these, uh, there are many clans in Israel. There's 12 tribes, but there are many clans and there are many heads of clans, heads of fathers' houses. So about 30,000 of them have gathered together. So think of this as a, a representative representative assembly. So they've gathered with David and David is going to hold a worship service. He is going to gather the people together and they are going to finally bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. And they're going to put it in that tent that David has prepared, that tabernacle. In verse two, we're reminded that the, ta- that the ark of God is in Bale Judah, which we also know is Kiriath Jireh. And friends, there's a long story for why it was there. Remember very quickly that the ark was at the tabernacle in Shiloh in the days of Eli and his judgeship. But remember, God's wrath broke out against Eli and against Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, because these two sons of Eli were wicked men who profaned the sanctuary of God and committed great and heinous evil. And they caused the name of God to be blasphemed among the nations. And Eli was rebuked for not restraining his sons, for loving his sons more than the Lord. And we saw God's wrath break out against Hophni and Phinehas. They died the same day at battle, and they were the ones who carried the ark of God 
to the battle against the Philistines. And that was a, a great defeat at Aphek. 40,000 Israelites died in a single day. The judge Eli died, his two sons who were priests died, and the ark of God got carried to Philistia as a trophy. And we saw how the wrath of God broke out against the Philistines, how they tried to set the ark before Dagon, and Dagon ended up falling down and bowing down to the ark of God. And we saw how God brought great plagues upon the Philistines. As the ark went from place to place, the Philistines played musical ark, trying to send it from one city to the other. And we saw God's wrath break out again and again until finally they said, let us send the ark back. The hand of the God of Israel is heavy upon us. And so you remember that story. They got the, a new cart. They got two milking cows. They put their calves away. And they put the ark on top and they said, okay, if this is truly of the Lord God of Israel, then the ark will go to one of the cities of Judah. But if this is just by chance, we'll know it because the cows will do what those cows always do. They'll go back to their calves. Well, we saw how the Lord brought that ark back to his people and brought it back to the city. And ultimately, it arrived in Kiriath-Jairim. But remember, it was there for years. So for decades, friends, this ark of God has been in this little tent, in this house on a hill in Kiriath-Jairim. But David says, now it is time to restore proper worship to Israel. It is time for God's people to gather together, to consecrate themselves to the Lord, to seek his face, to love and honor and worship him. Friends, David's heart burned for God. David loved the Lord, friends. His, David was a man of many faults, friends. But he was zealous for the Lord and he was zealous for the glory of God and that God's people would worship him. And give him praise. So David is endeavoring to bring up the ark of God. But friends, notice in verse 2 that this ark of God, this ark of God is known as the one that is called by the name of the Lord of hosts. It's called by his name. Now friends, remember the ark is the footstool of God. It is the footstool of the throne of the Lord of hosts. And it pictures that the Lord God of Israel is the cosmic king, that God alone is God, and that he reigns supreme over the whole world, and that he reigns in redemption, in mercy, and in grace over his people. And it was this Ark of the Covenant that was the most holy object in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But it is the Ark of the Lord of Hosts, the God enthroned with innumerable angel armies. He sits enthroned on the cherubim. The author of 2 Samuel is reminding us now of the holiness of God. Friends, this ark set apart by God that was built according to his commands and his precepts, that was part of the worship that he ordained, that it was set apart as holy because he was holy. He is the Lord of Hosts. So David loves the Lord, and David with his heart is seeking to glorify God and to lead the people to worship, but he has not quite grasped the gravity of God in his holiness. Because we see in verse 3, he neglects the very word of God. 
in his design, in his directing for the ark to be moved into Jerusalem, he fails to read the word of God. And instead of having the Levites carry the ark, he puts it upon another cart, on a new cart. And they, these two men, Uzzah and Iho, take it out of the house of Aminadab and they are going down to Jerusalem. So friends, that's the warning. Things aren't right. David's heart is set on the Lord, but he is pursuing worship and leading the people of God in worship in a manner that's contrary to the word of God. Friends, God gives us his word to fuel our doxology, to direct our devotion and fuel our worship of him. But it must be a worship that is regulated and directed by the truth. Friends, in the Protestant Reformation, we often think of the recovery of the gospel when folks like Luther and Zwingli and Calvin were pouring over the scriptures and that gospel of grace came home to their heart. But friends, we also know that in the Reformation, there was a great recovery of biblical worship. Beautiful hymns were composed in this season. And the focus of God's people became on the preaching of the word of God in the singing of the word of God. And the people were zealous that the church and her worship be ordered according to the scriptures and not the inventions, innovations, or imaginations of men. Friends, it is the word of God alone that directs our worship. It's the word of God alone that tells us how to worship God in a way that is holy and acceptable to him. And so, friends, in our private and in our corporate worship, let's always bring our practices, what we are doing, and measure them by this infallible rule. And so, friends, we see that David fails in his leadership to rightly handle and study the word of God and direct Uzzah and Ahio. Uh, And so, friends, we see that there is great danger coming. And so the picture in verse 3 is that Ahio is in the front and Uzzah's in the back. And here's this cart. It's got 10 miles to go, a 10-mile journey, and it's a procession, right? So it's not just Uzzah and the ark and Ahio. David and these 30,000 chosen men are all around and worshiping God as the ark is traversing the 10-mile journey east to Jerusalem. And in verse 5, we see that the whole house of Israel worship before the Lord. And friends, we are told by the author of 2 Samuel that there are many instruments that are used. Uh, lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. Friends, the worship of God's people, um, we, we see musical instruments are used by the Lord. David himself played the lyre. We see that musical instruments are God's gift, right? We even see in uh, Psalm 150, uh, worship God with with singing, with cymbals, with all manner of musical instruments. So friends, again, sometimes we can get to the place where we say, well, you know, there's no acceptable, you know, uh, instruments in music except the human voice. But friends, the scriptures even tell us and describe to us uh, how God's people have worshiped the Lord in song and with singing, but also with musical accompaniment. So we see that there's a great musical worship service that's going on, and David is leading the people. He's taking seriously his role as king. Friends, part of the duty of the king was not just to administer justice, but 
It is the king through whom God mediates his reign and redemption. It is through the king that God has appointed, that, God, that, the, that the Lord is teaching his people and leading his people. So friends, again, we see that David is typifying for us Christ um, in his leadership and leading the people. And in verse 6, we see that as David has led the congregation, they come to the threshing floor. Again, the threshing floor is, is a place. It's, it's a little higher up. It's meant to be where the chaff is separated from the wheat. And they come to the threshing floor of Nacon when all of a sudden the oxen stumbles. The oxen stumbles. The oxen that's pulling the cart, they stumble. And Uzzah sees the ark teetering and tottering. And what does Uzzah do? Well, he does what you and I would have done. He sticks out his hands to steady the ark of God. Now, friends, think about that. This ark is the most precious vessel used in the worship of God's people. It is a sign of the presence of God with his people. It's his mobile throne as he is with his people and and reigning with his people. Now, friends, this is a holy object. And you can see Uzzah's mind, right? The, The ark of God is going to be defiled by the dirt and the mud and the grime. This is an abomination. And so Uzzah does what presumably you and I would do. He puts out his hands to steady the ark. But what happens? Well, instead of Uzzah receiving a voice from heaven that says, thank you, Uzzah, for sparing my ark. Thank you for sparing my reputation. Instead, the Lord strikes him dead. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Again, Uzzah intended something good in one respect, right? but he disobeyed the word of God. See, friends, God had been so patient with his people. You realize that that ark of God, according to the word of God, was to be prepared by the sons of Aaron. They were to come into the most holy place, wrap it with the veil, wrap it with different colored cloths, and then cover it with goat skins. It was they who, the, the priests that were to prepare that ark of the covenant and to cover it. And then it was the sons of Levi, the sons of Kohath, that were to carry that ark on poles. God had been so merciful, forbearing, and gracious with his people who failed to read his word, who failed to worship him according to the truth. Friends, and how often are we like that? Many times, friends, we excuse practices in our public or private worship that are contrary to the word of God on the assumption that if our heart is right, God will accept it. And yes, friends, there are many times where God will accept worship. We see in the reign of Hezekiah, there were many Jews that came to celebrate the Passover, but they hadn't cleansed themselves. And Hezekiah prayed for them. He said, Lord, please forgive them that they have not kept your commandments or your precepts. Please forgive them of their error. And God listened to Hezekiah's plea and he healed these who came to seek the God of Israel. Friends, our God takes his worship seriously. And so when Uzzah touched that ark, friends, 
his critical mistake was in thinking that his hand would profane the ark less than the dirt. Think about it, friends. What evil had the dirt done? Dirt and mud does what dirt and mud does. It constantly obeys the law of God. Dirt sits and when dirt is wet, it becomes mud and it's useful for growing crops, for being a road, for doing all manner of things. The mud has never raised a hand in rebellion against God. The mud has never defied its creator. The mud has never said, Lord, not your will but mine. No, friends, what truly would defile that ark, what was the affront to the glory of God was Uzzah himself. And friends, sometimes that's hard for us to grasp. It was hard for David to swallow. David got mad at God. The scripture says his anger was kindled. He was angry with the Lord. Can you not see it? Would we not have reacted the same way? Lord, how could you be so mean and cruel to Uzzah, this poor young boy who was just trying to serve you and help us in worship and you struck him dead for just putting a hand out to steady the ark? Lord, that's not fair. Lord, that's not just. And in that place was called Perez Uzzah because the wrath of God broke out against Uzzah. But then in verse 9, it's as though the holiness of God comes home to David And now David's afraid. David realizes, oh, God is holy. He is perfect in righteousness and justice. He is altogether good and glorious. He has every every right to impose obligation upon me. And I have every responsibility to obey. And David could see how merciful and forbearing God had been. And how he was making known to Uzzah, to David, to the nation, that he is holy. That he is a consuming fire. Friends, in the Chronicles of Narnia, we see a, a scene where one of the little girls, her name is Lucy, or it could be Susan. There's a conversation, I think it's Lucy. Lucy has a conversation with uh, Mr. Beaver and, and they're talking together and, and Lucy is asking about Aslan. And, and you know, Mr. Beaver says to Lucy, you know, Lucy asks him, you know, is, is Aslan safe? What, what kind of king is this Aslan? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver looks at Lucy and says, safe? He's a lion. Of course he's not safe. But he is good. He is good. Friends, the Lord your God, he is a consuming fire. This is the God who diluged the world, the world in a flood, who opened the heavens and opened the earth and caused the floods to fill the earth and consume all that was living upon it and he spared Noah and his family and those that were upon the ark with him. This is the God who rained down fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin in judgment, friends. This is the God 
who when he appeared on Mount Sinai came in a pillar of fire and smoke and his voice shook the earth and the hearers begged that no further words be spoken to them. Friends, this is the same Lord God of hosts that when Isaiah saw him in his throne room, Isaiah said, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord of hosts. Friends, when we behold God in the glory of his holiness, there is, as Dr. Sproul has said, a trauma to holiness. There is a certain terror that comes because, friends, when we see God for who he is, then we see ourselves for who we are. Because, friends, if we're not looking vertically, if we're only looking horizontally, then we can always find someone who's a worse sinner than we are, and we can find someone who's done a little more good than we have, and so we always find ourselves somewhere in the happy middle. But when we look up to God, when we see him as he is, friends, we see our guilt, we see our unworthiness, we see our sin and wretchedness, and we are broken. We are cut to the core, we are cut to the wick, and that is good. Because then, like Isaiah, we can hear the word of God, where he says, this has touched your lips, your guilt is atoned for, your sin Removed Because even as God and his holiness breaks, it is the same God of holiness that restores and renews and recreates in Christ Jesus. Because, friends, until we see God as holy, we don't know ourselves as sinners, nor can we truly see our need for Christ the Savior. And it's only as we continue to remember this that we can come before God and worship him in spirit and truth. So David is learning this lesson. Uzzah's death is on David's shoulders. He bears responsibility as a leader. He was the one who failed to lead the people in worship according to the word of God. And God's wrath broke out against Uzzah. Well, David's afraid. He says, I can't let the ark come to me. God is a consuming fire. David begins to examine in his own lives. How often have I fallen short of the glory of God? How often my life is not in conformity to the word of God? David begins to examine himself and says, God is so holy and I am so wicked. The ark of God can't dwell with me. He's experiencing that trauma. And so what does he do? He pulls it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, this foreigner who's, who's dwelling near Jerusalem. And Obed-Edom takes the ark in. He becomes the new steward, the new guardian of the ark, him and his family, for three months. And notice what it says in verse 11. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. The Lord was saying to David, yes, I am holy. Yes, I am righteous. Yes, I am just, but I am also good and merciful. Friends, this is the character of our God. He is just and he is righteous. But he's a God who also says, 
My steadfast love endures forever. My mercies never cease. This is the God of sovereign grace who welcomes unworthy sinners as we are with all of our guilt, with all of our sin, with all of our frailties. He welcomes us to worship Him in the name of His Son and by His Spirit. He makes that worship holy and acceptable to Him. Friends, if we thought for a moment of the standard of worship that God requires, this is what God requires of us. That we be holy as He is holy. Friends, that means the only worship in and of itself that is acceptable to God would be from a heart that is 100% pure, 100% right, with no sin, with no guilt, with no iniquity or impurity within it, And friends, you and I haven't offered that kind of worship to God for one single moment of our lives. So how can a holy God receive the worship of such unholy people as we are? Through Christ. Through the Lord Jesus. My church father, Christotom, and I've given you this illustration before, but remember Christotom, he used to say that It's talking about the intercession of Christ and mediating our worship to the Father. It's like a little boy whose father was on a long journey. And the little boy knew that his father was coming home that night. And so he wanted to give something to his father just to show how much he loved his father. How thankful he was that he had come home safely from his journey. And he knew, the little boy did, that his father liked flowers very much. And so the little boy had the idea. He would go out into the yard and he would pick a beautiful bouquet for his father when he got home. Oh, the little boy goes out and he does his business and he takes that bouquet and he presents it to his mother. Look, mother, look what I have for daddy. And what does mother see when she looks at the bouquet the boy has picked? Well, it's a motley assortment, as you can imagine. A couple flowers here and there, but Oh, there's so many weeds and dandelions and and dead, ugly-looking things. It's quite an ugly bouquet. But friends, what is the bouquet that the father received from the little boy when he came home? It was beautiful, pruned, trimmed, arranged beautifully, a beautiful sight for the father because the mother had gone and trimmed away all that offended taken out all that was ugly and impure, and it was that which was offered to the Father. Friends, that's what Jesus does for us. He takes our prayers, he takes our worship, so mixed with sin, so mixed with iniquity and guilt, and as it comes to the Father, the Lord Jesus says, this is the worship of your people, Father. See how they love you. By your spirit, see this worship, which through my mediation is acceptable and holy to you. Friends, that's what Jesus does for us. And that's why we can come to this God of holiness with reverence and awe. And with joy, knowing that he loves to bless his children. Well, in verse 12, we see that David understands the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. David knows God will show mercy 
God will keep His covenant. God will love and bear with His people even in their sin, even in their frailties. And so David resolves to lead the people once again in worship. But this time, according to the Word of God, this time according to the commands of God. And so he brings the ark up from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. The Lord has smiled upon His people. This is the day for gladness. And when those who bore the ark, notice again, they're not bringing it on an ark this time. It's the Levites carrying that ark on the poles as God had instructed. As they bring it, they've not gone six steps, but on the seventh step, David orders that an ox and a fattened animal be sacrificed. Remember, friends, in the liturgical system of God's people under the old covenant, all of these animal sacrifices were signs They were pictures of substitution and satisfaction. The animal dies, so I don't die. The wrath of God is poured out on this ox because God's wrath was destined for me. And I know the ox is not sufficient because I have to bring more of them every single day. But the fattened animal, the ox and the sheep and the goat point to the once for all sacrifice of God's promised son of Jesus. And so friends... This was central to the worship of God's people because it was communicating the promised son, the promised Christ who was to come. And so God's people gathered for worship. They looked to the promises of God. They believed his promise of grace and they worshiped and they processed with joy and gladness to the city of Jerusalem. And verse 14, David. Now, friends, remember, David is a grown man. You know, David's probably mid-30s, up to, you know, close to 40 at this time. But this man, this man's of a man, this army man, this general and king, he puts on the linen ephod. He puts on this linen ephod and he begins to dance. He danced before the Lord and he danced with all his might. Here's the worship going on. And David is overcome with joy, overcome with delight in his God and love for the Lord who has been so merciful to him and to his people. And he can only express this joy with dancing. And he dances like nobody is watching. He dances before the ten thousands of Israel because his heart is set on God and his glory. And he wants to give him praise. Friends, this is just a picture of what happens when God births his joy in our hearts, when he restores to us the joy of our salvation, when he causes his face to shine upon us, he fills us with such joy and delight in worshiping him. Friends, you know, in a sense, friends, we can think of the full bucket problem. What do you, what do you give to the one who, person who has everything? What can you get to the God from whom and through whom and to whom all things belong? Friends, we can add nothing to him, but he delights that we should come and worship him. He made you to worship him and he made us to find the fullness of what it means to be made in his image and redeemed in Christ in worshiping him. Friends, we know what it is to be human as we worship God in his son and by his spirit. And that's what David is experiencing. This is what he was made for, to worship God and enjoy him forever. 
Friends, that's our destiny. That's our end. That's what's before us, the joy of worshiping God and abiding with him forever. And so, friends, this worship service has come to a a wonderful conclusion. And the whole house of Israel, along with David, bring up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Friends, God delights in the worship of his people. He delights that we should come and give him praise. We don't come cavalier. We don't come with uh, you know, putting God on our level and speaking to him as we would our friend or our brother. We remember that God is holy. And yet, friends, as we remember that God is holy, we remember how wondrously he has welcomed us in Christ, that we may call him our Father. And that's the fear of the Lord, friends, coming before the Lord with reverence and awe. Well, friends, I pray that that encourages us this week. I pray that as we go, we are delighting ourselves in the Lord, seeking to worship him in all that we think and say and do, and how wonderful it is that we serve a God of such goodness and grace. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your, this uh, time together. Father, thank you for your mercy to us as poor sinners. Lord, you are so gentle and forbearing with us. Oh, Lord, we pray, please purify our hearts as Christ's heart is pure. Oh, Spirit, we pray, cause us to walk carefully before you, O oh God. Lord, teach us to be faithful students of the word that we may know how to love and to worship you. Father, fuel our joy in knowing you as our Savior and Redeemer. And we pray, Lord, that in all things you would be glorified in and through us. Of this, Father, we ask for Christ's sake.